For an artist, inspiration can strike at any moment. Something as simple as a sunset might inspire a painter to reach for a brush. The birth of a child might prompt a musician to pen a new song. But it's not always happy occasions that spark an artist to launch a new project. Traumatic events can also inspire. I'm George Borarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Coming up this morning, how a husband and wife artist team in New York City turned a breast cancer diagnosis into an artistic statement. It's kind of a prayer bead or a worry bead, and uh, there's a tumor attached to it at the end. But first this morning, the pink ribbon is synonymous with breast cancer awareness. But a Brooklyn photographer is using a pink tutu to draw attention to the cause. His name is Bob Carey, and the project stems from his wife's breast cancer diagnosis. Bob, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. Bob, the headline here is Harry Unbuff Man Raises Money for Breast Cancer in a Pink Tutu. Explain. Well, the story started when my wife and I moved from Phoenix, Arizona, nine years ago. We had lived there for a long time. I had lived there 42 years. She would lived there 20 years. Uh, we decided to start a new path, and I'd been a commercial photographer for since I was 17. I'm 51 now. So I'd been having some art shows in uh, Phoenix, and then I been, had been photographing myself for uh, quite a long time, going through some different parts of my life, and it was kind of a self-therapy. I started having museum shows and then gallery shows all around the world. Uh, we decided to move to New York. I had a solo show in Soho three weeks before we moved to New York and uh, thought, you know, it's a great thing. You know, we're having a new life. And so we packed everything up in a truck and a van and our two dogs, and we moved to Greenpoint, Brooklyn. What year was this? 2003. And we got here, and it was quite a change in, in a good way. So we start putting our life together here. I was doing small editorial jobs and, you know, doing work for magazines that I've, you know, wanted to do work for, but I was used to doing more advertising work. And on the way out here, I did one image of myself with a prop that was left over from a photo shoot that I did in Phoenix. And it was a fundraiser that we did for Ballet Arizona. The idea was to have us depict what we thought of ballet. And so I put the tutu on and I photographed myself in black and white. And that was the first image that I did as the ballerina. So you in the pink tutu, that all predates your wife's breast cancer diagnosis. Right. But my work's always been about my journey in my life, you know, my career, my emotional journey, where I've been, where my wife's been, you know, us together. What's your wife's name? Linda. Linda. And we've been together 26 years now. And so I did this one image in Santa Fe, New Mexico. That was the first image I did. And I was standing out in the, this field in my friend's ranch in front of a barn, and I am have the tutu on, and I, you know, like me, I 
I just kind of took my pants off and put the tutu on. I didn't have underwear on. I just you know did it right then. That was like, let's just get this done and get out of here. We still have 12 hours of driving. Uh-huh. And I'm standing there in my socks because I really wasn't committed to this project. You know, it's like I had no idea what I was doing. So I just had a kind of a disgusted look on my face. We did the shot. We left four months later into New York. I started looking at this image and I thought, well, this is kind of interesting. You know, it's like I'm, but I don't really know. You know, I, after living there for about five months, I thought, you know, it's very desolate and barren here in the south in the southwest in santa fe and then i get here and it's like kind of the same way i mean i have a lot of friends that i had made along you know before i moved there but finding myself kind of like shutting myself in in my apartment you know because it's like so big you know takes forever to go to the store and do you know so different and so i decided i'm gonna go do a shoot and i met some assistants and a makeup stylist and we just went out and we went to Coney Island first and did a shoot and I kind of put myself out there and it was like we were out there all day and um so you on Coney Island just in the pink tutu yeah I mean I had shorts on and then a shirt and then I'd pop it off put the tutu on and then and you know I was very, I mean, Coney Island's very, you know, you can do pretty much whatever you want there. And um, I was only called one name that whole day. And and then I really got the... One derogatory name. One derogatory name, mm-hmm. yeah. People, you know, people would laugh. But but it was like kind of, I would like shut, start shutting myself out. You know, we're, I'm surrounded by people so much now. And then I was like going into this tunnel by myself in front of all these people but I was ignoring them and so we uh kept shooting and shooting by the end of the day I ended up on the beach you know the whole time we were on the boardwalk and we were different places but then I started it was so weird because I was out in the ocean kind of and then this woman in this orange bikini came up to me and wanted to take my picture you know with it and it was like so funny because she was so happy mm-hmm. and and it was like really cool, you know? And then, so I went through the film. I was shooting film at the time and I had an assistant shooting, photographing me because I had a medium format camera. And um, so I couldn't really f- fire the camera myself. So... I went back to the studio and start going through the film and scanning film and and start just kind of putting things together and it was starting to like kind of turn into something and it, and I started getting this feeling of like isolation and you know because I I was noticing photographic I didn't want anybody in the shots and when I was did one shot of like all these school buses with Nathan's in the background then you could see all these people and in Photoshop I was taking all the people out it was mm-hmm. like. I didn't want anybody in there. So just you. Just me. And the pink tutu. Yeah, and a bunch of school buses and, you know, two pictures of hamburgers or hot dogs. Or... And again, this is all before your wife's diagnosis, yeah. right? So but it when, was all, yeah. When was your wife diagnosed? December 29th, 2003. And we moved here in April of 2003. So 
what happened was is when she was diagnosed her cancer was breast can is is breast cancer and it was very serious you know i mean it was the most aggressive type is her2 positive which is i mean i know so much about cancer now and it when when it was first diagnosed it was the tumor was two inches and when it was taken out two weeks later it was four inches hmm. and she had all of her lymph nodes taken out on her right side there was 17 out of 27 affected so it was you know serious surgery i mean the doctors were you know questioning reconstruction but we did it anyway because i knew linda told me that she didn't she wanted that and so as linda was recovering it was a six-week recovery and it was pretty major sur it was a major surgery and so when that was happening i would find myself you know needing a break and i would like just go out and start shooting the ballerina and just to you know let myself go and it was cathartic for you yeah made you feel better yeah i mean photography always makes me feel better you know i mean even if i'm doing something i don't want to and so i found myself on in greenpoint i was on a pier that i don't think is there anymore and i like to jump in my pictures and i jumped off of a the the post where they tie off ships and i forget what they're big cast iron things and I jumped as I jumped I like my legs my knees locked up and I landed on my heels and I was like it was on the concrete so it was like really bad I ended up in the same hospital she had her surgery oh my in goodness with a bunch of you know intoxicated people falling face first in their big CD you know on did the you floor. at least get a good photo out of it yeah it was awesome i wasn't jumping but you know so to like fast forward i started doing this and i start traveling more in my work and i start getting jobs where i was flying all over the place and i would take the tutu in a bat in a ziploc bag and i would shove it in the bag and i i still just had like gray shorts so it's like always that little thing of having to figure out how to get rid of that so i start photographing myself everywhere i went What's the most exotic place you took a photo of yourself in a tutu? Well, it was this summer we were in uh, Tuscany and Vitiana, uh, Italy. And it was this village that's, you know, 1,300 years old on the top of a mountain. And, you know, walking around this village with these Itali old Italian women with cheese and wine. And, and they're just like giggling, you know, they think it's very cute. And that was pretty cool. Then my wife, when she would go into tr treatment, she was in treatment for a year and a half. And then she was good. She was good for, meaning she was clean for a year and a half. And then she was re-diagnosed. It metastasized to her liver. Hmm. And then they, so she had spots in her liver and... So they put her back on the same drug, which was a trial study drug at the time. And now it wasn't. And so they put her back on that drug then put her back on and then put her on a chemo therapy. So during that time, uh, 
she started bringing my images because she's a big part of them. You know, she would, she goes with me a lot and, and she starts showing the women at the center. And a lot of these people are older and they're on Medicare and, you know, just the sweetest people and, and they're having their treatment. She would show them the images and they were just so happy. You know, it made them happy. I mean, they were, they're very, they're melancholy. They're funny. They're quirky. They're, me in a tutu which is kind of funny and and they just really lit up and that's what you know that was I don't know four or five years ago that it like really first inspired me to keep doing this project because it made people happy and made people you know took them away when they were being pumped full of poison you know you have now dubbed this the tutu project yes you're hoping to make a book of these photos yes and use the proceeds from that book to benefit breast cancer research right yes well it's actually what we're doing is instead of research we're directing the proceeds to people that don't have the benefits on their cancer plans to like if they need a ride to the cancer center they can't afford it mm -hmm. because their plans don't cover it and that's i really want to get to the core of what people need on a daily basis you know like the people that don't have family that are 75 years old and they can't get a ride and they're alone so that's i really want to affect i want to get as close to the people as possible you plan to self-publish this book right yes. how much money do you need to raise Seventy-five thousand. and where are you at we're close there are a number of photographs in your collection that i love including one of you in a field with cows where was that in uh, riverside county in california there's another one that i love that's you on a snowy street in nothing but your pink tutu. Right. Hopefully you weren't out there too long. No, about 15 seconds. Was that here in New York City? Yeah, it was in Williamsburg. And then there's one of it you. It was our first winter. Was that right, your first winter in it New York December City? December 1st, 2003, and it snowed a foot and a half, and they said, oh, it doesn't snow much here. And you let's know? break out the pink tutu and go outside. Yeah. yeah, it was so cold. I also love the one with you on an empty subway platform, an empty subway platform. Yeah. What was... time of day or night was that? Well, actually, to tell you the truth, there was one person in the shot. Oh, is that right? You yeah. can't see him in the photo, though. I or at least I, I couldn't. Oh, you took him out. Okay. <laughs> but you know what? I'm in every image. I'm not, you know, I do just very slight alterations. I'm always at the scene. I'm always freezing when it's cold, let me tell you. Milwaukee, 15 below zero, I'm doing it. And the subway was like, it was the Bedford stop at 7.30 on a Friday night at the Driggs, where you get out at Driggs. So it's like, I have no idea how that happened. And both trains came in at the same time. That was the real deal. That was not altered at all. That was a gift. That was 10 minutes. And then my assistant made me walk back four blocks to the car in my tutu and not didn't let me change. She goes, you have to walk back without changing. I'm like, okay. <laughs> do you have the tutu with you today? Yes, I do. 
Did anything inspire you on your way here? Do you plan to take any shots? No, I didn't. No. How's Linda doing today? She's doing great. She's really good. She's had treatment yesterday. She's a little tired, but she's doing great. So where can people go to learn more about your project? They can go to the tutuproject.com and that gives you all the information about the project and how to participate. Also on Facebook at the Tutu Project, that will lead you around to where you need to be to check it out. Well, Tutu Man, Bob Carey, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks. This is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm George Bodarkey. Not unlike Bob Carey, the husband and wife artist team known as Caraballo Farman is also going beyond the pink ribbon to stand up to breast cancer. They turn images of tumors into jewelry and other works of art. Leonor Caraballo and Abu Farman are with me in the studio this morning. Leonor, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Abu, good morning to you. Hello. You have turned the grim diagnosis of breast cancer into an art project. It's called Object Breast Cancer. How did this all come about? One day I was uh, diagnosed with breast cancer in 2008, and I realized after several months of agony and going through a whole lot of procedures that I had no idea what the malignancy looked like. I didn't know what it looked like, uh, what shape it had, and and I was very afraid, and I felt like it was like this invisible enemy that I wanted to get a closer look at and a grip of, in a way. So um, I went back to the radiologist, and uh, I asked her to show me what my MRI looked like and if she could locate it for me, and, and, and I sat down with her, and Abu was with me, and we looked at it, and uh, somehow this fear inside me gave way to this kind of overwhelming sense of calm, and I felt like I I had more power in a way once I started being more affiliated with it. You had something to stare in the face, if you will. Yeah, I I mean, I knew where it was. (laughs) So we kind of uh, started out, at at that point we got this uh, residency in I-Beam, Art and Technology here in New York City in Chelsea, and uh, they have this great 3D printer, and, uh, and our challenge was, you know, how do we turn this flat image, this this tumor, into an object, into a 3D object that has somehow a physical presence? So it was your idea, more specifically, no, no, or both it was of our, yours together? Uh, we, we, we always kind of feed off of each other, and it was not my idea. It was our... Uh, our idea bouncing off of each other. So Think, things yeah. build up. You know, it's never, it's never. Oh, I've got an idea, and boom, some, you know, born from beginning to end, perfectly conceived, out of uh, what do they say, the ribs of Jesus or the <laughs> stomach of Zeus or one of those places that ideas get born from. You no, know, we, we, you know, you look at. Uh, you, we knew we wanted to work with MRIs as soon as we saw them in the radiologist's office, and um, we were captivated by the whole imaging technology. And we started looking at medical imaging, and at IBM we kept discussing what to do. We're doing animation. We're doing a number of different things, and it builds up. And then one day, you know, we keep thinking we want something concrete out of this, something that is uh, externalizes the tumor, because that's something what you, you, we kept talking about and people talk about. You know, the surgery takes it out, and we wanted a concrete manifestation of that thing that was excised, that was taken out. And when we saw the 
three deep in it, like Leo said, it was suddenly, you know, things started coming together. And one day we kind of looked at each other and we said, we have to be able to go from this, the MRI image. So you had this 3D image of your tumor specifically. Mm-hmm. At that point, it was my tumor, yes. The first one I saw, yeah. So then what did you do with this 3D image? We fed it to the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> well, first we marveled at this... Uh, and what we had achieved, because it seemed like it, it didn't make any sense. Did it look like what you expected it to look like, your tumor? No, people, I mean, people, we have this preconceived idea that, you know, that tumors look like a spherical golf, a golf ball or a tennis ball. But in fact, they're, they're kind of very intricate and irregular shapes. And they're all very, very unique. One tumor looks nothing like the next one. That's what I discovered. They look very different. The metaphor is always, I mean, you get presented with metaphors. Right? It looks like a golf ball or it's a pea-sized, it's this round metaphor. And, and, and yeah, once we got in there, we realized, every, you know, it's got all these different forms. And usually it's got what they call speculations, which is these little arms that come off the main volume as it spreads. And each it's like a fingerprint. Each one, each person has a unique uh, tumor that, that is theirs. Let me ask you this. As artists, did you see beauty in it at all? Um, slowly I, I started to see beauty when I started comparing several one. When I saw my own, I didn't see beauty. I just saw th- this thing's out of my body. This is proof that it's out. It, and this is my first step into survivorship, if you want to call it that. Um, but once I started collecting MRIs from friends and from doctors, I, I realized that they are fright. They are very frightening, but very, very beautiful in a way. Especially when they ca- they're cast in bronze and stuff. Yeah. Are doctors at liberty to give you these MRIs as long as they're well, not it's identified? No, the whole process. They're anonymized. We don't get any personal information whatsoever. They also we collected some from people we knew, so we yeah. have some friends, which we've also done, and that's one of the stages of of, of our work, which is at, at this point that we've reached, which is to produce personalized people who want them would give us their MRI and we can give them their tumor objectified externalized uh, and they can do whatever they want with it. I mean we chose at, at that point in our in our work to you know create these kinds of pendants and amulets in a way to you know their amulets but people can do whatever they want they can crush it or ritualize it in other ways throw it in the river bury it you know whatever they want to do with it to say okay it's it's done and and people do that you know there's a lot of because there isn't such a um, sort of formal ritual, patients make up their own, especially in America, you know, patients make up their own rituals, especially around cancer, where there's uncertainty, where where things are dramatic and dramatized already. Um, you know, people make up rituals around chemo, around hair loss, around a, a lot of different things. And so this is this has the potential to have that as the idea. You're wearing one of these amulets around your neck right now, and... You're wearing one as uh, well? I, I'm not wearing one. I have my worry bead here. Your worry bead. Why don't you describe that for us, Leonor? It's just a, it's kind of a prayer bead or a worry bead, and uh, there's a tumor attached to it at the end. So I feel it's uh, soothing and comforting when I, when I go through the worry beads. I mean, that's what worry beads are for. <laughs> and Some people uh, might not be familiar with worry beads, so why don't you explain that for those not familiar with a worry bead? I think they are. I think people are, you know, it's like a rosary. So I think... Well, it, the, the, what, what it is is basically a, a uh, something with beads on it that people flick between their fingers and say a mantra or some, some such statement uh, often associated with religiosity in the past anyway. 
but it's just it's just this kind of behavior ritualized behavior that calms you down you 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 flick yeah you cognitively flick the it does something to the to the brain that I understand I understand there is a shamanic element to your work is that right um <laughs> one aspect of our project has has led to shamanic sessions yes no not not this um sculpture side of it but on on another level we we started seeing a shaman because we realized that a lot of patients seek out shamans for therapy um and we started we noticed that the shamans also use uh, this visual internal visualizing technique when they do extractions and they see animal powers inside of us and they cast them out so we did some sessions in which the shaman saw animal powers inside me and then when we went back to the computer to work on the wire meshes of the tumors uh, we ma- we started making animals out of the out of the cancer cells and those turned into these large block out vinyl prints in the form of a dragon a turtle a pig abu you're wearing a tumor around your neck yes an amulet that's so these are these are the ones that we've put out as the kind of the generic uh, so these are not personalized this is kind of the the amulet that is on our website, objectbreastcancer.com. So you can get small versions or larger versions if you want, if people don't necessarily want to personalize it or go through the hassle to send us and wait and so on. They can just go online or, or ask us. I mean, they're, they're, they're for sale in a couple of different places in the city as well as on our website. But, yeah, this it just sort of functions as an amulet. There's the worry bead. There's the larger pendant, the smaller one, and so on. There's um, a paperweight that we call a desktop. So these different objects that are sort of meant to serve, you know, they serve different functions. People look at them, people like them as a as a point of conversation. I mean, it always comes up, and pe- you know, often we hear people telling us, "Oh, that reminded me to go and get my uh, MRI or my test or whatever, whatever it is." People get reminded of it, and and it becomes an honest conversation as opposed to a lot of other kinds of. Uh, I think people have pink fatigue and. And I was going to say a pink ribbon. It is not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's also a very direct way of dealing with this disease. It is very much a taboo, and people don't like to talk about. Especially older generations don't talk about it. And it's the the reality is that a lot of us are getting it, you know, and the and very young also. So I just think it's a confrontation that is healthy in a way. Do women commission you? They have, but it's not. Uh, I mean, I'm not getting like <laughs> oh, a whole line of women commissioning me. Yes, but uh, they have done. Yes. Now, as far as the process for creating an amulet like that, what's involved with creating that? So you have the image, and then what do you do? Um, it's very complicated and involved. Actually. Is that right? Yeah. So I mean, I mean, this stage is on very in a very brief way. It starts with medical imaging software. Uh, and we were, you know, we were, the thing that probably you might want to know is that we were actually the first, it seems, to have produced cancer tumors in a 3D format. So up to then, there it was either tissue that had been cut up in pathology or it was an MRI scan that was on a screen. You could sort of see it in virtual 3D, but not real concrete 3D. So... So we're the fr- and it, it took a bit of sort of researching and finagling, working with radiologists, working with uh, computational folks, and three people who knew three D printing better than we did. So it was a lot of sort of basic. But right now it just goes pretty straight. From an MRI, uh, we isolate the tumor, the identified tumor, get rid of all the 
tissue around it, so isolate it, take it into 3D space, which is, is in, an involved process in itself. And then that allows us to clean it up, send it to the machine. The 3D printer, for those who are not familiar with it, is like an inkjet printer, but instead of just one sheet, imagine a thousand sheets on top of each other and you get the one object coming out. So, And that becomes the model. And then from there you can do... So this high-tech process, then we take it back to the most ancient kind of process of reproduction, which is lost wax and bronze cast. We'll make a mold and get a jewel out of it or a sculpture or we've done stuff with the molds themselves. So there's a variety. Once you get that basic thing done, there's a lot of different ways to go. How has the medical community responded to what you're doing with these tumors? They're very impressed because they hadn't really looked at tumors in 3D and they're realizing that, you know, there might be a lot to learn from that, you know. So they're very encouraging. They've been very encouraging, and without them, we wouldn't have been able to do this project, really. How much more medically-minded have the two of you become Uh, by doing this? No, I wouldn't claim that. No? I just, you know, I just, uh, I'm more comfortable with these uh, frightening things, these shapes and these forms. And where is your objectified tumor? Where do you keep the one that you created, the first one that I, you created? I actually, in, in the middle of a whole bunch, I, I just take it out of my mind that that's my tumor because I've been working with so many other tumors that I don't have a predilection or or one that's mine. You didn't feel the need to smash that one against the wall no, or anything? No, I actually did. I smashed it. Yeah, at the point. beginning. <laughs> oh, you did smash one. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. I smashed the wax of it. Yeah, I did. Yeah. And did it that g- feel it good? It gave me a lot of pleasure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Caraballo Farman, thank you so much for coming in. Thank, thank you. Thank you. You'll find more about Caraballo Farman's unique stand against breast cancer at objectbreastcancer.com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producer Julie Clark. Have a great weekend.